for those of you that are visiting, um, we've been doing a series out of 1 Peter, uh, looking at how we can live well when things are difficult, all right? How can we live well when things are difficult? And the Bible speaks about three kinds of baptism. I don't know if you know this. It speaks about baptism in the Holy Spirit, which we all love, absolutely. Baptism in water, which most of us who are Christians have also experienced. And the third baptism is called baptism of suffering, which none of us like. But this is a doctrine of Christian teaching for centuries, that we are baptized into the sufferings of Christ, and that if we suffer as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised, like some fiery trial is coming upon us that we didn't expect. And I think part of growing up in the 21st century, particularly in the West, is we assume we have a right to wealth, prosperity, and health, and quite frankly, the American Prosperity Church gospel has not helped in helping people understand that actually suffering has always been part of the Christian life, always, from the very beginning. And so we've been exploring that, and in the last couple of chapters, Peter said things like this. He said, wives, if you have an unbelieving husband, it might cause some suffering in your life. Don't be surprised, but live well as a wife. Submit yourself. Learn to play on the team. Pray for this man who, who doesn't uh, honor God, and you trust that through your life and your example, through the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart, he will come to faith. So there's a challenge for you as a wife if your husband is not a believer. Similarly, he says to husbands, husbands, treat your wives with understanding so that your prayers are not hindered. If you want it to go well for you in your life, make sure that you're treating your wife well, that you're loving her with understanding. And so we looked at that as well. And then he says other things. He says like, uh, he uses the example of, of our, our political climate. And he says, actually, God asks us, even though authorities in the world are imperfect, they are, they are, they are, he is sovereign over them. And actually, you do your best as a citizen to live well and to honor government as much as you can and to, be, to partner well with government because it's good for you when it's, there's good government. And he says things like, in a, in a business, you do all that you can as an employee to work well with your imperfect employer. Even if they don't treat you well, you, you, you by the Spirit, you work it out and you trust God with your future. These are difficult things, aren't they? And then he says, for every Christian, there's unjust suffering that falls upon you when you did not expect it. And how do you respond to that? Remember we had a look at it? He said, well, there's two things you do. You face it without fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of people's threats. Don't be afraid of what people say they're going to do to you. No, you honor God in your heart. You revere Him deeply, and He'll take you through. Yeah, and we had a look at that as well. And then we arrived at this very complex, complicated portion in, in 1 Peter 3 verse 19, which we've started to look at over the last three weeks, which uh, Luther said he didn't understand what Peter was trying to say. In this, in this portion. So I'm not proclaiming to understand it completely either, but we're trying to get a, a feel of what Peter's trying to say. And so I'm going to read it, and we're going to look at the issue of baptism today, all right? And why does Peter emphasize baptism in this, this example that he gives of Noah, and Noah going through the flood? And we're going to have a look at that and hope we can understand. And if you haven't been baptized, by the end of this meeting, I hope that you will rush forward and say, I want to be baptized. I hope so with all my heart. I really do. Okay, so here, 1 Peter 3 verse 19 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. There we have it. There's the gospel. Christ suffered to bring us 
to God to become sons and daughters. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And we had a look at that last week and what that means, and that possibly is the most uh, difficult thing to understand what Peter is saying. But please listen to the podcast if you missed it. And then it says, carries on, and we want to focus on these verses today. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Really? Does baptism save us? Is he saying that? Okay, we'll have, we'll have to have a look at that. Not the removal of dirt from the body. We're going to look at that word especially this morning, the body. But the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So how does this connect with suffering? Well, it very much connects with suffering because Peter is trying to encourage those that he's writing to. Some of them were suffering because they had shown their commitment and their faith to Jesus, and they had been baptized, and that had brought suffering into their life. And we've seen that many, many times. We've traveled quite a lot over the last 30 years, and we go to places like China or Malaysia or any place in the East or other places in the world. When people get baptized... It brings a radical thing into their lives. People can say, you know, believe in Jesus, believe in Vishnu, believe in this, it doesn't matter. But when you get baptized, something extraordinary happens. And baptism is the sign that people have made a commitment to Jesus. And we've seen people get kicked out of their homes, be excommunicated from their family as soon as they got baptized. There's something powerful that happens when you get baptized. That is a spiritual transaction. And so perhaps some of these people that had um, committed themselves to Christ verbally were, hap- were hesitant to get baptized because they had seen what suffering had brought on other people. But here Peter's urging them to still make a confession to Christ through baptism and not to be p- p- put off by being persecuted. And he uses this picture of the flood uh, and how Noah was delivered through water as an as a illustration, as an analogy of what it means to be saved by Christ in salvation. And he uses this phrase, he says, Noah and his family, eight of them were saved through water. Saved through water. And the Greek here is very interesting because it's ambiguous. It can mean two things. The word for through can mean two things. It can mean mean that it changes your location, so you go through and you are brought to another location, or it means, can mean by means of water you are transformed. So it has this ambiguity, um, uh, amb- 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 thank you, ambiguity <laughs> in the way. So, so, so basically, Peter's saying Noah and his family were brought safely through the flood that drowned all the Mesopotamians. And at the same time, because they were in the ark, the water that was bringing judgment to other people saved them. Does that make sense? The water was bringing judgment to a whole lot of other people, but that same water, through that same water, they were being saved from the flood. And so this is the picture that that Peter is using as an illustration. He's saying that just as the blood of Christ saves us, for some it 
it, it, it is bringing condemnation. For those that believe by faith, we are being lifted above the judgment of, of all other people into the safety of the kingdom through the blood of Jesus. Yes? He's saying the same thing. He's using it this as an illustration. But he wants to make sure that we don't misunderstand. So he brings some, some um, clarifications. And do you notice in verse 21, it says, it speaks of the removal of dirt from the, and the NIV uses, body. That is unhelpful, really unhelpful, because it implies this body. But really, what he's speaking about is the sinful nature, the flesh. So I could say it like this, the removal of dirt from the sinful nature. That's what he's saying. The sinful nature, all right? And um, the word flesh is used in other parts of the New Testament to mean sinful nature quite clearly. So, for example, I want to give you a couple of examples to illustrate what I'm saying. For example, Paul in Galatians 5 verse 16 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the sinful nature. And then he shows us exactly what the sinful nature is. He says, for the flesh, the sinful nature, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Those, they are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says here, the acts of the sinful nature, the flesh are obvious. Immorality, impurity, debauchery, and he, he goes on and lists a whole lot of things. And so it's quite clearly, when we're speaking here of the flesh, he's speaking of the sinful nature. Also John, in his gospel, he uses the same thing, the word flesh to describe the sinful nature, and he says this, Jesus, he quotes Jesus in chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The sinful nature gives birth to the sinful nature, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Same thing. Jesus saying exactly, or Paul saying exactly what Jesus is saying. So let me just then rephrase this. In other words, Peter's saying baptism in water is not the removal of dirt from the sinful nature, but it is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Yeah? In other words, to teach anyone that you are saved by baptism that your sinful nature is cleansed by baptism, that you are born again by baptism, must be absolutely rejected. It is not the gospel. We are saved by grace, through faith, apart from works, so that none of us can boast. There's nothing else that saves us except putting our faith, our trust in what Jesus has done. On the cross. You should say amen to that. Right. Unfortunately, why am I laboring this? Because unfortunately, there are people that have taught throughout the centuries, in fact, from about the second century onwards, that baptism, somehow the water, baptism has power of itself to cleanse you, power of, you, of itself to save you, and that you are somehow, when you are baptized, even if you are christened as a baby, you are automatically coming to the kingdom and you are saved. 
Unfortunately, people have taught this. And why did that, this happen? Uh, well, if you're interested, um, that's called uh, the, the doctrine of regeneration by baptism. That's what the technical word. And Roman Catholics believe that. The Orthodox churches believe that. Lutherans, some Anglican churches, high Anglican churches in particular, some American churches in the Restoration Movement that still exists today, they're called the Churches of Christ. Have you heard of those churches in America? They believe the same thing about baptism. Why am I saying that we must reject this? I'm saying because it's, you can't be born again by being baptized. You are saved by grace. Jesus alone saves you. doesn't matter if, respectfully, if you are christened as a child, it doesn't matter. It does not make you a Christian. You are not christened into the kingdom. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, into the kingdom of God. And baptism is a picture of what God has done. It's an illustration of what God has done in you. Now, you might say, and, you know, can't we just be, make peace? Can't we just christen and baptize? Can't we just, let's just be peaceful. Let's not fight. Let's not, not make an issue of it. Absolutely not. It's an issue of the gospel. You cannot be saved. There are millions of people all over the world that have been christened as infants that show no evidence in their lives of a new spirit, of a new nature, or living for Christ. None. It's useless to tell them that they're Christians because they are not. They are not saved into the kingdom. They've been christened but not saved. There's a big, big difference. I hope you like me after this uh, message. So what does the Bible say then about being saved? It says, I've said a whole lot of things already, but let's just look at Peter again because we're studying Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us the new birth into a living hope. Come on. It's a gift of God to us, salvation, by grace, lavished on us, by a loving Father who, before we were even thought of and created, before the world was even created, His grace was towards us, His heart was towards us, His love was towards us. He was committed to seeking us out. And in, when it was perfect in our lives, He touched us and He transformed us and He gave us His Spirit and we were born again. By grace. It's a, it's a gift to us, a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he, uh, Peter qualifies in verse 22 of chapter 1. He says this plainly. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, how are you sanctified? Well, you, you, you go after the truth. You allow the Word of God to transform you. You open your heart to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you are transformed from the inside out. And it says, then you have a sincere love for each other and you love each other deeply from the heart. Why do we love each other deeply from the heart? How's that possible? Well, verse 23 says, for you have been born again. You're not like everyone else. Everyone else hates each other. And this faction is against that faction. And the, this part of the, the society says, we don't like you. And that part of the society says, unless you believe like me, I don't like you either. And no, no, but Peter says, no, no, you're not like that anymore. That's how the world is. That's how pagans are. Sorry if I'm being loud. If you're new and you're visiting, I do get a bit loud, all right? And he says, no, that's how pagans behave. 
Don't behave like a pagan. You have been born again. And because you've been born again, the Spirit of God is in you, enabling you to love people deeply from the heart in an extraordinary way that you couldn't do before in your own strength. But now you can because the power of God rests in you and has transformed you from the inside out. Come on. And then he says, not, this is not through perishable seed. This is through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and their glory in the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of God, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is what was preached to you. This is what Peter says. So my friends, being christened doesn't save you. Being baptized in water does not in itself save you. There's no power in the water. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Sorry. From the second century on, uh, this is how it crept into the church. From the second century on, there were some of the church fathers that began to teach that actually the water had power of itself. So it's like a superstition that came into the, into the local church. So unfortunately, people like Arrhenius and people like, uh, I wrote some of them down. Um, sorry, I got, I got distracted. I was like on a roll there. And uh, I'm not all over my notes. But anyway, Arrhenius and Tertullian and uh, Justin Martyr was the other one. They, for example, Arrhenius said, water, is, water baptism is rebirth unto God. Tertullian said, nobody can be saved without water baptism. And so they began to believe there was the power in the water. It's completely superstitious. And if we think of Acts 10.47, it becomes clear when, when Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of you being baptized with water. Why? You have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. There's the implication immediately that when you are saved, when the power of God is at work in your life and done something and already transformed you, then you are baptized as an illustration of that. And unfortunately, this kind of superstition has existed all through the centuries, and it's led to things like the veneration of icons, the veneration of bones, of saints, water from the Jordan that heals you, all these superstitions. Don't be superstitious, right? One of the first holidays Helen and I were fortunate enough to take after we had been here for a couple of years, we went to Greece, went to this beautiful island called Zakynthos. Any of you been there? And we took a ferry to one of the small islands. It was hot, man. It was the middle of summer. And we got off the boat, and we see all these people crawling on their hands and knees from the boat to an Orthodox church hundreds of meters away. They were bleeding. Their hands and their feet, they were bleeding. Why were they crawling on their hands and knees? Because there was a bone, supposed bone, of some saint that if they just touched the bone, the power of the bone would heal them. I was so angry. These poor people thinking that they're doing something that's going to heal them or save them. No power in a bone. None. There's power in the name of Jesus. Don't believe superstition, man. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by all that stuff. 
There's one way that you're saved, by grace, believing on Jesus through faith, and he transforms you on the inside, radically alters your, your past, your present, and your future, and you get to love him and partner with him in the most free, liberating way that you've ever will experience in your life. So what is water baptism then? Two simple things. It is an expression of faith. That's all it is. It's an expression of faith. And I can say that confidently because of the words that Peter writes. Do you notice in verse 22, he says, This water symbolizes baptism that saves you, not the removal of dirt from your flesh, your sinful nature, but a pledge, or some translations say, an appeal to God for a clear conscience. So what is he saying? The word, the word appeal or pledge is so important. It can point either to that moment of salvation when you cry out to God and say, save me. Yes, it can point to that. Or it can point to the moment of baptism where you go through the water and when you come out, you say, God, I want to feel my conscience is clear. That's what he's saying. I want that assurance, that deep assurance that I am free from sin and I wanted to, to experience it physically when I go through the water. I want to know that sense of I am forgiven. My conscience is clear. You know how wonderful it is to live with a clear conscience? I've done some stupid things in my life. I'm 57. That's a lot of years to make a lot of mistakes, yeah? And to just be stupid and hurt people and a lot of things. But I live with a clear conscience. Not that I'm not sorry that I haven't hurt people, but God has forgiven me and my conscience is clear. I live free because of what Jesus has done by the power of his blood and the power of his Holy Spirit in me. All right, so all I'm simply saying, the first thing to remember is that water baptism is simply a testimony or an expression of our confidence in Jesus' substitutionary death on our behalf. Remember, we read it already. Christ died once for all to bring you to God. That's what we're putting our confidence in. We're saying we trust that completely, and um, we are declaring that in faith by calling out to him and saying we want a conscious experience of your forgiveness in our lives, Jesus, that we can live with a clear conscience. That's what ba baptism uh, is saying. And so, it's, we have already been made with God or justified, and we're looking for this conscious experience, conscious experience of forgiveness, a good conscience. And the uh, second thing I want to say is that, in a way, water baptism is a prayer. Um, we are believing in God's promises and calling upon Him for this clear conscience. It's, it's, it's a kind of prayer. And Acts 22, um, in verse 16, it illustrates the point that I'm trying to make. Saul of Tarsus has this amazing experience uh, on the road to Damascus, and um, he gets to go and find out what's happened to him, and he's spoken to, and in verse 16, it says this, what are you waiting for, Saul? What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sin away, calling on the name of Jesus. It's like, yes, God has done this for you. You've You've experienced the resurrected Christ. You, you've seen him with your very own eyes. Now, what are you waiting for? If you think that religion can save you, let me just point you to Paul. What does Paul say? He says, I was the Jew of Jews, baptized on the eighth day. I've perfectly fulfilled the law in every way. I am the perfect Jewish person. 
I religiously have followed all the Jewish orders called me to do. And, and in addition to that, I persecuted Christians and I killed them. I, I know what it is to be religious, says Paul. Our religion does not save us. Our ceremony does not save us. Our traditions do not save us. <laughs> There's only one, thing, one person that saves us. His name is Jesus. And that's what Paul is a living example for. And he, the perfect, the perfect Jewish person, is encouraged by Nicodemus, who, oh, I forget who it is now, but whoever it is. What are you waiting for, Paul? Do it now. Be baptized. This amazing transaction that has happened on the inside of you, go through the waters of baptism as a sign of your confession and your trust in Jesus. And so he was already a child of God. He was already justified. He had already seen Jesus. And now he must go through baptism and appeal to God himself, this good conscience, the sense of being cleansed, all the things that he had done to displease God, he could live free with a clear conscience to feel forgiven. Or Acts 2.38, another illustration where Peter says um, to all the congregation in Jerusalem, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all of those who are far off for whom the Lord our God will call. The people in Jerusalem had already come to faith. They were already saved. They had already put their faith in Jesus. And now Peter says, express that, show that to others by being baptized. And you will feel an overwhelming sense of forgiveness. You know, I've, I have to say that when I got baptized... I was christened as a baby in the Methodist church. My father is a Methodist minister. I grew up in the church. I knew all the stuff, right? When I got baptized as a student, my life changed radically. And it's an intangible thing that you don't quite can't put your finger on, but something, there's a transaction that happens because you've demonstrated. It doesn't save you, but because you've demonstrated in such a powerful and public way. I want to say this too. Don't just get baptized in a bath with your mates, all right? Make it a public declaration. It's supposed to be a public declaration for the whole community to see that actually you've put your faith in Jesus. Yeah? Helen, when she got baptized as an adult, as a sign of repentance, something radically changed in her life. And we were chatting this week with Lizzie Weller, and I'm not trying to embarrass you, Lizzie, but if you want to speak to someone who's recently experienced baptism, and whose life has been radically transformed because of that obedience. Speak to Lizzie, and she will encourage you with her testimony of what she was like and what God has done and how he's transformed her life. It's so powerful because she was obedient. The last thing I want to say is this. Paul, uh, Paul, Peter goes a little one step further after he said these two things. Baptism is, is an illustration and it's a prayer of a cry for a sense of feeling forgiven. He says this. He really says, you remember he's using this illustration of the ark. He says that the ark, the thing that saves us, is not a boat. Aren't you glad about that? We don't have to worry. In the future, we don't have to build our own boat, right? That's also a bit weird, don't you think? When Christians all over the world, they get into this kind of thing where they're going to hide themselves away. And they're going to be separate from everyone else. So when the day of judgment comes, they don't have to suffer. This is a little bit weird. (laughs) 
We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to build that kind of ark. We don't have to separate ourselves from anyone else. Why? Because what does is, what is Peter say? He says, the ark of our salvation is not a boat. The ark of our salvation is Jesus. And we put our trust in him so we don't have to worry. And he's at the right hand of God right now. And all things are under his feet. And he says it. He saves you by the resurrection of Jesus who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And it ties into what I was saying last week. Every spirit is under his authority. is under his feet. We don't have to worry anymore. We can live with confidence and faith because of what Jesus has done for us, my friends. doesn't matter what Putin says. Doesn't matter. And yes, he might be, there might be suffering. There might be some bombs thrown and suffering for many, many of us. It doesn't matter in the end. God is sovereign. He's made already the plan for humanity, and his, the plan for humanity is Jesus Christ. And we are secure in the ark of Jesus. We are already above the waters that have judged everybody else. And that's why we cry out and evangelize to every person that we can so that they too can experience a salvation that is eternal. That doesn't matter if your body is killed because you are alive and will always be alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's what I would like to finish with. And my appeal to you this morning, my, as politely as I can say, if you have put your faith in Jesus, and you have not been baptized. I don't really care that you've been christened. What are you waiting for? Do not wait anymore. Go through the waters of baptism. Next week we'll set the pool up. Get yourself baptized as an expression of what God has done in your life so that you can live with that sense of forgiveness, knowing that Christ has forgiven you, that you can live with power by the Holy Spirit. And you, other people will say, man, you are different. What is it? And I, that's what I'm trying to say to you. My, when I got baptized, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was saved. But there was a new authority and power in my life that came by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I was simply being obedient. You know, Jesus only, he, 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 he said we should do two things. You know, the church says you have to do lots of things. And puts legalism on you. Dress like this, behave like this, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this. You know, all the, all the don'ts. Well, what are the do's? Jesus said, do this. Eat and drink in memory of me. Love your neighbor. Be baptized. We make it so complicated, don't we? <laughs> Jesus didn't make it complicated. Now, if you've come from a traditional background, please don't be offended with me, all right? I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just trying to say, Let's be obedient to the Scripture. There are so many things that we get distracted of. Our traditions, what's been handed down to us, there's no power in tradition. There's only power in the blood of Jesus. Put your trust in the right power that comes by the Holy Spirit. Amen? I really, I'm asking you to consider thoughtfully, prayerfully, yes, but don't wait. Don't wait! Do it now. Get yourself baptized. Speak to us. And we'll baptize you next week as soon as we can put the pool up. All right? Johnny, come and lead us. We're going to sing that song again as we finish that we learned at the beginning. I'm just going to pray for you. We would love to minister to you this, this um, morning if you need prayer for healing, 
if you have a situation at work, we sang that there's power and blood of Jesus to break every chain. Whatever, whatever God has, whatever you're facing, the battle that you're facing, God can be part of that battle and help you in the most profound way. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for the simplicity of your words. Thank you that you help us to know you better through your words. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've been with us in such a powerful way this morning. Thank you for Martin's testimony of what you've done in his life, what you're doing through his life to bring f- so much blessing to people in Africa in such a practical way. Thank you, God, that you use us. You use our gifts. That we don't have to all be the same, that you've got so many things for the, your kingdom through those that would simply offer up their gifts to you. Thank you. Most of all, Lord, we want to say thank you for your your blood, thank you for the power of what you did through your death and resurrection. And thank you, Lord, that you want us to live with that same power. And I just pray now, as we sing this song, that you'd seal these things in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you give, give us courage to obey your words and to live free of things that have simply been passed down to us that don't sometimes have much meaning, but in you. We find our ultimate meaning and fulfillment in all that you have for us. And everyone says, Amen.